Lisa Hudson stepped onto the Bellevue Flyer at just after 8.15 on a brisk early spring morning. The Flyer, as the locals called it, was a fancy name for a rickety old city bus that had seen little more than a fresh coat of paint and a few electronic signs added since it first entered public service in the mid-1980s. Its driver, a portly, silver-haired man, who had likely entered public service himself decades before that, gave Lisa a nod, recognizing her as a regular. It's time for the post-mortem report. With your hosts, Ronald McGillray and Michael Schotter. Each month, these sultans of speculative fiction take a break from bending reality to ask one burning question. What cool stuff got buried in the social media graveyard while people were busy yelling at each other? Well, there's only one way to find out. So let's dig into it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Postmortem Report. I'm your co-host, Michael Schotter. And I'm Ronald McGilvery. Welcome to episode 17. Mm, yes, 17. I'm sure some people were worried that we might not be able to count that high, but we proved them wrong. That's right. And I wrote it down on my clipboard so I wouldn't forget. Oh, excellent. We were double covered. <laughs> That's like uh, our own special podcasting insurance there. Exactly. Because what professionals do, see, people get to see behind the scenes and how these things work. Yes. It's all about redundancy. Yeah. And clipboards. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so how have things been in your neck of the woods lately? Pretty good concerning uh, all the news that's uh, on the news has been nothing but bad news. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit before the show, but we probably don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. Uh, no, but uh, but no, it's uh, personally it's been pretty good. Work's doing all right. Um, uh, for my writing, I'm uh, up to forty thousand words now. Ooh, ooh, yeah. So Very nice. you could say about halfway done, but since mm -hmm. the strange writing style that I have, I have absolutely no idea. Where that halfway point is, it could yeah. all it could be two thirds way done, yeah. But I'm making a concerted effort not to, um, uh, not to make it a Bamoth like uh, Cutter's Deep, which yeah, is a yeah. fine book by the way, and reads like a novella, even though it is big. Uh, nice. I, I've heard that. You know, somebody might have mentioned that to me at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you, I, uh, you, you've been getting a lot of nice uh, reviews on that lately, I've seen uh, go yeah, by. Yeah, I've been lucky. Well, I have a lot to uh, to thank. Uh, well, the uh, Good, uh, Goodreads group, uh, Red Cutter's Dream, over at um, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Mm -hmm. And it's halfway done the month. We're, I guess two-thirds of the way done now, um, completing that. Everyone's been reading it and sort of making comments and I think some of the reviews have come from that as well. So mm -hmm. I'm super of a, appreciative of Mary over at the Goodreads. It was very nice yeah. of them to, to have me. Yeah. Very I, cool. Uh, I dropped some books off at uh, a little library just down the street. I'm pointing. So uh, it's that Everybody way. You can tell which way. If you happen go. to be, uh, happen to be in the area, just go yeah. down over there. 
I've got oh, uh, some of my books over there. Nice. Um, Did you take a picture? Yes. Yeah, yes, nice. I will, maybe, we can, uh, maybe we can throw that up on the screen. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, by the time everyone sees this, it'll be over. But I will wish my wife a happy 31st anniversary because we just had it passed. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That, uh, Congratulations. That's, there you go. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, I heard you uh, have a new uh, workout regiment going on. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, <laughs> I actually stole it from my wife. I decided. Well, I was trying to go out, but now it's like almost dark when I leave work now. So mm -hmm. I started doing this. Um, uh, it's like an, uh, I guess, it's kind of an aerobics. The best way to describe it in the basement. Mm -hmm. they they do it to like 80s music so i listened to uh my wife list, or was doing it and i thought oh those are pretty good tunes so yeah, nice. i did that and i find it easier just to go down after dinner and sort of work out so i don't have to leave the house because you know how i don't like leaving the house at all so yes as any good writer uh, does not like exactly. to leave the house yeah so I, I've been doing that, trying to, uh, yeah, because I uh, I uh, just noticed one day I was putting on my pants and they weren't quite fitting the way I remember them. And I'm like, what the hell's happening now? So yeah. I'm, saying, I'm getting back on the exercise thing. Because I was doing well before StokerCon. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of, I kind of got, uh, well, we, we ate a lot at StokerCon. <laughs> Yeah, so, yes, we did. We did uh, had a lot of run that train right off the rails, so to speak. Yeah. 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 Testing every restaurant in Pittsburgh. So yeah. That started it. And then I was getting used to eating well. So when I came home, I think I kind of did it, carried on in that tradition. But uh yeah. now I'm making a more concerted effort to uh, get back on it. And now we got the long winter months of can Canadian winter coming up. So yeah, it's good to get that uh trend established before you get yep. into the to the winter months i would think yeah, yeah. especially with something inside yeah and being yeah. inside i don't have to go out in the snow and stuff and so because it's really easy when i was doing some jogging and because i never say running because i was never running i was never very fast but i was jogging but mm -hmm. you know winter you know i tried to do it but it was really easy not to leave the couch i was like oh it's slippery out or whatever so this mm -hmm. new exercise is all indoors so i should have no excuse to uh to do that excellent, excellent. Yeah. how about you Any oh man in? oh yeah yeah i'm staying on top of that been doing pretty good with that and actually that's been very necessary because i've been having a lot of seat time lately with projects and stuff uh because on top of all my normal writing projects and such that I would normally be doing. I've also been doing something that I've never done before, which I think I'm actually ready to talk about a little bit, which is hey. that I have been recording my first ever audiobook. Wow. Congrats. How's that going? Slow and painfully. <laughs> uh so I I'm a little bit surprised by this actually. I, I think it's maybe maybe worth mentioning just out of you know, uh, a desire to kind of fulfill people's curiosity. 
So I have a lot of experience on the mic, right? Like I've done a YouTube channel for years. I've done podcasts, you know, for years. I'm, I'm generally pretty comfortable on the mic uh, as a as a general rule. But uh, one thing that I've run into doing this audio book that I had really not fully anticipated or, or predicted was just how kind of tricky and challenging it was going to be doing all the voices, right? And trying to actually kind of give the characters unique and proper voices and inflections and all that sort of thing, right? Like, and especially, you know, being the author, right? I have sort of an idea in my head of how all these things are supposed to sound. And so having to put the effort in to try to make my voice sound the way I think everything should sound has proven very time consuming, like very uh, tricky. Challenging. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I think this is this is a very unique uh, project for me, even though it kind of uh, is benefiting from some of the other things I've done. I don't think I've ever done anything quite like this before, so it's been really interesting. But by the time you folks see this episode, I'm hoping that I will have been completely done with the project for at least a little while, and I should be able to talk about it more publicly. I'm actually um, talking to a publisher about this one. So this might also be my first time working with another publisher. Uh, so we'll see how that goes, but more to come on that front as things develop, I'd say. Cool. Cool. All right. I guess I should mention, I've been invited on a, a Zoom workshop on April 9th of next year uh, with the Moorhead Friends Writing Group. I've been asked to come on and talk about writing. Nice. Wait till they get a load of uh, my style. Yeah. <laughs> I go, okay, well, thanks for coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So, uh, very nice of them to uh, to reach out. So. Well, and very cool of them to reach out so far in advance, right? Because sometimes people will kind of spring stuff on you, right? It's like, can you come next week? Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's always nice to have a little heads up on things like that. But uh, speaking of, of having a heads up on things, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about uh, writing mm -hmm. project-wise, which is, you know, I'd mentioned uh, last episode because we had the cover reveal for my new book that's coming out shortly, The Spiral and the Threads. And uh wanted to mention a couple things about that, one of which being that it is for sure going to be coming out at the beginning of January in paperback and hardcover, uh, because nowadays Amazon actually lets you schedule paperbacks and hardcovers uh, ahead of time. So now I actually know what the release dates are going to be uh, for the book ahead of time, which is kind of right. cool to be able to do that now. Uh, and I'll throw those up on the screen for folks. And then, of course, uh, the Kindle version will be coming out at the beginning of February. Uh, and as is typical for me, I am going to be doing a Goodreads giveaway for the Kindle version, which you should be able to participate in as of seeing this show, uh, if you do want to try to snag yourself a copy of that book uh, 
on release day. Because what I usually do with my with my books is uh, I'll do a Goodreads giveaway for the Kindle version that ends on the day the book comes out. So yeah. those those lucky few who who win those uh, can kind of sign up and then know if they get it or they don't get it on release day. That you know that kind of has a tendency to boost things a little bit and kind of get things off to a good start. And uh, especially with this book being a kind of conclusion in a lot of ways to the to the books I'd released previously, I definitely want to make sure it gets off to a, a strong start. That's going to be pretty cool. And another thing I was going to mention is you may have noticed this book lingering behind me in the picture. Uh, and actually, I've, I've used this background before. You might remember this was the background I used in the very first episode of the postmortem report. But a lot of people couldn't actually see the book because my big head was in the way. But this book, The Nemesis Effect, will actually be free on Amazon for the first five days that this episode is out. So if you're a fan of the show and you've been watching this, you now have a chance to go grab this book for free. But I'm not actually going to mention that anywhere else. So oh my. this is just for you, the viewers of the Postmortem Report. An exclusive. Yes, one might say. I mean, I'm sure somebody else could stumble across it and be like, oh, free book. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the, the intent here being that, uh, you know, nice little end of the year uh, gift for uh, those of you watching. Just in time for Christmas, a yeah. gift for yourself, and and for our early viewers, right? Because as as I say, um, it's it's only going to be for the first five days the show's available. So if you're not watching early and often, you know you may you may miss out on this one. But hopefully not. Hopefully everybody gets to grab it if they are so inclined. But uh, I think that's about it for me for writing related stuff. Do you have anything else? Nope, that's pretty well all my personal stuff. Just been all right. busy working, busy exercising, working away at my new story. Excellent. Well, uh, with that all taken care of, I think it's time to move into everybody's favorite new segment, the author Spotlight. Would you like to tell all the nice people who our author Spotlight subject is this time? This month, we're showcasing Coy Hall. Very nice fellow and a great writer. Indeed. Yeah. He's got style. Mm -hmm. Style galore, that guy. Mm -hmm. Oodles and oodles. Yeah. Well, would you uh, would you care to, to share a little background information, a little a little historical info, perhaps, on, on sure. Mr. Hall? We will give a little bit of a bio. So if you wanted something new that you might not have known, or if you don't know Coy at all, here's a little bit about him. Coy Hall lives in West Virginia, where he splits time as an author and professor of history. As a historian, he studies medieval and early modern Europe. History influences his fiction, with many of his stories set in the past, sometimes a real past, sometimes an imagined one but most often a mix of the two. His books include Grimoire of the Four Impostors, 
The Hangman Feeds the Jackal, The Promise of Plague Wolves, and A Seance for Wicked King Death, which is coming out this year, I believe. Yeah, it should actually be out by the time everybody sees this episode. Um, well, there you go. Yeah. Another book announcement on our show. Yeah, yeah. Very so nice. Kudos to Koi on his new release. Yes. It's actually his uh, second release for this year because we actually talked about um, a pantheon of thieves in last episode, episode 16. And we've also talked about the hangman feeds the jackal back in episode five, pretty extensively. Although that book has come up several times on the show, because it's one of my personal favorites from the last couple of years. Um, Well, who doesn't like Elijah Valero? Yes, yes. Anti-hero gunfighter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's quite the he's quite the uh, protagonist, as it were. There you go. Um, But you know, as you mentioned in the bio, he also has a few other books, such as Grimoire of the Four Imposters, and you actually have a book that he is featured in, which isn't listed in his bio. And oh, I think you might even yes. have a little visual aid for the folks with this one. Yes. I remembered to actually pull it out this time instead of my usual thinking, talking about it, and then forgetting to do it. Koi mm-hmm. has story in, can you see that? The big adios. Show it there. Mm-hmm. I think it's all showing. His story is uh, The Trail of King Death. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of interesting, considering his newest one also has King Death in it. Yeah, it kind so of makes I you wonder, wonder if there's some sort of tie-in happening there. Yeah. 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 Apparently, he likes King Death. Yeah, well, I will say, as soon as I saw the uh, cover reveal for that seance for Wicked King Death book, I immediately thought, hmm, that might actually be my next read from him. Because uh, it, it definitely was a pretty captivating uh, cover design, and I, I'm always a sucker for a good uh, a good cover hook. Um, but actually, you know, one book we we also should definitely point out is what had been his most recent release up to that book coming out, which is A Promise of Plague Wolves, which I believe actually you have a blurb from. Sure. So we can share it to others and entice people to buy a copy for themselves. Excellent. Two plagues rage in the countryside. One plague is smallpox, a torturous disease that ravages the body, turning homes into tombs. The other ailment is more mysterious, a scourge of occult origin, a plague that ravages the mind and consumes the soul. Here the deepest horrors are made manifest. Here the dead walk the shadowed wood. Here a spirit and its brood of changelings emerge from the earth to feed. Into this malefic maelstrom enters Dorn Toth, famed occultist investigator. Accompanied by his faithful greyhound Vinegar Tom, Toth must find the source of the eldritch epidemic. Will Toth and Tom prevail? against the lights that they uncover or will the dark storm of ghosts consume them Ooh, yeah yeah lots happening there 
yeah that's that's a that's a beefy beefy little intro so yeah but i i will say like i i am always intrigued to read just about everything he puts out there um and so that one is definitely on my radar 100 percent for sure but uh I'll, I'll be curious to see which one of those two new books actually ends up getting read by me first because i i really feel like it's almost flip a coin in my mind like yeah. i could go either way with that <laughs> yeah well from my experience you really can't go wrong with a quite hall book yes yeah indeed i i know uh i know we both had a lot of uh fun especially with the hangman feeds the jackal i'll give it i'll give it one more shout out just because i love it so much uh you, you know that was that was a great one um but if you want to know more about Koi and his books, you can definitely check him out on his preferred social media, which is Twitter slash X. I'm just going to hedge my bets from now on. I'm just, I'm not convinced that that new name is going to stick uh, where he is Koi Hall Books. And now, as is our way, it's time to send Mr. Hall off into the annals of history with Ron's favorite part of this whole procedure. The Wheel of Death. There it Boy is. Boy Hall, nice guy. But, but everyone must face the Wheel yes. of Death. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, I think there's only one thing left to do, and that's give this thing a spin and see what happens. All right. Spin that wheel. Spin the wheel. Spin round the and wheel. round it goes. Where it stops, nobody Ooh. knows. Oh, stick burn. <laughs> well, uh, well, well. You know, it's, it's always exciting when we get to experience a new one of these. I'm sure Koi's super excited, too. Uh, so yes, time to see what fire can do to an author. Everybody ready? Up in flames. Who? <laughs> see, I'm so excited my earpiece fell out. There you go. Three, two, one. Oh, my. That's nasty. Mm. That's nasty. But we love you, Koi. Barbecue. Anyone? Yes, sir. Uh, good times. Old Koi sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes, thanks for dropping by. Uh, and as is also our custom, uh, Koi was kind enough to share with us some of his favorite things, which we have now included on his tombstone, which we will now share with you. It's very nice that our guests uh, provide their own epitaph. Yeah, it really does save us a lot of effort. So, you know, <laughs> yes, it's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Yeah. We uh, managed to wrangle them into that. So, some real classics on uh, those picks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good, good <laughs> stuff for sure. But, uh, for the last time this year, yeah. rest in peace. 
I needed some water. It, got, it was so hot in here. And the flames, those were, those were burning. Indeed. I'm glad my smoke detector didn't go off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I unplugged that. I, I probably should have told you that. <laughs> yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah, sorry. My bad. Uh, so with uh, that all taken care of, uh, let's ease into another classic segment from the show with books. Who doesn't so, love books? Nobody I want to hang out with. Uh, well, what have you been reading lately? Well, I just finished The House at Phantom Park by Graham Masterton. Mm, that's a name yeah. I've heard before. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since uh, since I'd read something by him. And uh, I, this one caught my eye. It's uh, uh, sort of the it's a haunting, but it takes place in um, uh, a veterans hospital, so it's not like a haunted house or you know an asylum of any sort. So this was something different, not your typical gothic venue. Nope, and it was there. It was like a so it's it it's been shuttered, and um, uh, these developers are uh, trying to develop a. Um, uh, like a, a luxury housing complex. And, and, you know, when you're trying to develop something, but the land that it's sitting on in the building, because they're trying to keep the frame of it um, mm -hmm. in place, like the body. And of course it's inhabited by uh, soldiers who have, who have passed, but it's mm -hmm. a different kind of a ghost story. Um, it, you know, I always get this problem where trying to describe something but I'm too afraid to give, like, to is, is this too much? Yeah, you don't want to be all... spoilery, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's it's a ghost story, but how the ghosts are there is different than mm -hmm. what you're used to. I'll say that. So it's not just like they died and haunted the place there's mm -hmm. something there's a sort of a, a backstory to it and uh yeah it's uh it, it was it was interesting they had a a bit of a uh like there's a, a mystery as well wrapped into it so you mm -hmm. have the sort of the haunting and then the developers well one person specific uh, the characters trying to figure it all out so you have sort of the the mystery part which leads to what i was trying to describe so uh, eloquently and failed but uh, is but, that uh, yeah so you have sort of the, the mystery and uh, and the haunting so yeah it was it was an enjoyable read yeah no i mean it sounds like it so i well and, and to be fair to you i think it's very often difficult to describe especially anything that has any sort of a unique premise without ruining yeah. it Right, because it's like yeah. it's like okay, I'm going to explain something to you that's unlike anything you've ever experienced before, without ruining it. Like that's a tall yeah. order, right? <laughs> so I, I think you did fine. Uh, Thank you. Good times. How about you? Anything uh, exciting this month? Well, 
You know, I uh, I had a special objective with this month because I feel like I've kind of been neglecting the science fiction side of the house a little bit, especially ever since, you know, our StokerCon planning really got ramped yeah. up and we were kind of deeply ensconced in like the bowels of the of the horror community for several months. Right. I feel like I, I haven't really been been talking up, you know, the, the sci-fi stuff as much as I would typically like. Uh, so I really wanted to go out of my way to read something sci-fi and in particular something a little more modern, right? Like not, not necessarily dusting off a, a classic per se. Right. Um, so what I have this time is All Systems Read by Martha Wells, which for those of you who aren't familiar with this book is the first book in what is called the Murderbot Diaries. Okay. So, as you might expect, the book involves murder bots, which are these artificially constructed beings that are part organic and part mechanical that are basically built and designed to be efficient killing machines that follow orders very explicitly and efficiently. However, there's a bit of a wrinkle in their design uh, wherein if the murder bot has a hacked or otherwise malfunctioning governing module, that murder bot can act of its own accord in various circumstances. And so what this book is basically all about is one such entity that gets embroiled in a very unique and dicey situation when a simple planetary survey mission that they've been sent on uh, goes sideways. And one of the things I really like about this book is the way that it blends, you know, some great classic tropes of the science fiction genre, things like artificial beings and cybernetics and planetary exploration uh, with some kind of uh, modern social commentary and humor and sort of tongue-in-cheek uh, references and, and some things that are very like self-aware but not in a like overly done or, or overly heavy-handed sort of way to the point where it's just a really charming quick enjoyable read that just kind of flies by and the other thing that's really cool about this book is that it acts both as like a self-contained story. So you could read it as a standalone, but it also is a really excellent setup for what ends up being this Murder Bot Diaries series, which of course continues for several books. There's um, probably at the, by the time you folks see this episode, the seventh book in that series should actually be out and available. So <laughs> you kind of cover it either way, whether you want just something quick that's like a standalone or you want to, you know, get into something that could lead you into some other uh, longer reads down the line. Interesting. Are they is it is it the same bot that they follow, or is it a different? So I don't know time? too much about the subsequent books in the series because this was my mm -hmm. first time reading it, okay. uh, and this is obviously just having read the first book. However, from what I've seen of the second book, I believe it is a direct continuation of that story. So you would be okay. following the murder bot character that you've been introduced to in the first book. 
in, at least into the second one. Uh, and I, I would imagine that it, that 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 character does persist throughout the series in some form, yeah. but uh, I, I can't say that definitively, having not actually read the rest of the books yet. Is is the bot like an anti-hero, or are you actually sympathetic to it? So the the kind of fun thing about Murderbot is that he definitely has some heroic tendencies, but he's also got some very apathetic and like aloof tendencies so kind of if he had his way he'd just sit in his regeneration pod all day and watch soap operas or like you know other other bits of like human created entertainment that he finds fascinating yeah uh but you know he can also be bothered to like ghost an alien or like get into you know a scrap with some other humans or whatever on behalf of the people he's working for right so yeah. it's yeah. it's kind of this like interesting dynamic right where he's perfectly willing to do what's expected of him especially to sort of maintain his cover right because if it if it were to be known that he is not uh under the control of this governing module that would be bad for him right yeah uh, so there's this kind of this push pull between like him having to do what he has to do to maintain that illusion while still kind of having his own free will to a large extent. And that's huh. that's another really interesting part of the book, yeah. right? It's kind of seeing how all that stuff plays out. And and none of that is really heavy spoilers, right? Like um, the stuff that I'm talking about is stuff that you find out in the first chapter or two, right? Yeah. So this is I'm not really not really tipping tipping the hand of the book too okay. much. Um so the bot is self-aware. It's not like a story where he he goes on not and he doesn't know that he doesn't have it. He yeah, he's aware that yes. His program but but the other interesting glitched. thing about it is that um so a kind of conceit of the universe that these books take place in is that this whole scenario is run by a mega corporation, right? And in a typical sort of sci-fi mega corporation faction yeah. or fashion, they tend to do things on the cheap and kind of things tend to go to the lowest bidder a lot. Right. And so yeah. for one example, right, like the murder bots intellectual capacity varies depending on, you know, how expensive their components were, right? Or how sophisticated their data sets are or whatever, right? And, and so a lot of murder bots aren't great thinkers, right? They don't, they haven't been exposed to a lot of information. They're just, you know, basically mindless automatons that are, they're meant to follow orders, yeah. but they don't necessarily have to be. And so yeah. the more information they get exposed to and the more uh, upgrades and such that they get, the more complex and sophisticated their behavior can be, become. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that makes for a very interesting uh, dynamic in the book because it makes them very human-like, right? Because they're, you know, obviously like smart and experienced and with it people, and there are people who are not so smart and not so experienced and not so with it, and so that's also reflected in these murder bots. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting premise. Yeah, it's it's a very cool story. Um, definitely would highly recommend it. It's actually uh, one both the hugo and the nebula award which are like two really? of the biggest awards in wow. like the science fiction community so it's it's definitely a pretty well-known book it's it was originally published in 2017 so it's it's pretty recent uh, but also 
a bit newer uh, than than might put it on the radar of, of people who only tend to dabble in classic science fiction, uh, right. which is another reason why I thought it would be a good one to yeah. dive into and mention here. Is it a big book? How many pages? Uh, no, it's 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 a short novel, long novella. I'd say it's probably closer okay. to like long novella length. I, I guess somewhere probably around thirty thousand, maybe thirty-two thousand words would be my guess. Huh. I read it in, in in a day or two. It's it's okay. a, like I said, it's a super quick read. Like you won't yeah. have any trouble blazing through it if you do decide to pick it up. I'm sure. Well. Uh, now, some of the other books later in the series, I know, get a bit longer, but I think the first few are, are pretty, like, short and, and quick and punchy, like that first one is. But, uh, yeah, so All Systems Read, book one of the Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. There you go. There you go. We've given you two good books to read. So don't mm -hmm. say we don't. Yeah, All never say we never stuff. did nothing for you. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, good times. Okay, so moving this crazy train along, uh, let's talk about movies. Because you went outside again, didn't you? Yes, I did. It's been crazy, crazy that I'm leaving. Actually, I meant to mention it before. Well, I did mention that, uh, you know, it was our anniversary and that was one of the things we did on our anniversary was uh, go to a, a movie. My wife convinced me to leave the house, go outside, and go to a theater. Yeah, so we nice. did. And uh, we went and saw A Haunting in Venice. Mm. Yeah. I know nothing anyway. about this one, so enlighten me. Yeah, it's uh, based on uh, Agatha Christie. I, uh, I think it was a, probably a more a lesser-known story. Um, it has um, Hercule Poirot, sorry, as uh, the uh, detective. He's um, they take him out of retirement because at the time of the the movie, uh, he's retired, but he's pulled out to attend this uh, Halloween gala that's um, uh, going on at a, a palazzo in Venice. Um, and of course, he's he plans to debunk the whole thing. Um, the uh, the one cool thing about seeing in the theater, I've never been to Venice, very scenic. So the scenery was really was was uh, quite awesome to sort nice. of watching it. A lot of beautiful scenery, um, and as a lot of Agatha Christie in the end, uh, a group is trapped within a building where where the murders are taking place. So Hercule has to uh, get to the uh, to the bottom of it. There's uh, ghosts, there's murders, and uh, and uh, ma'am, yeah, and uh, a few surprises. So it, it kind of it was interesting because, well, like uh, I was talking about earlier with the house at Phantom Park, it mixed uh, the mystery, which Agatha Christie is so well known for, but there are sort of horror aspects of it. There's uh, the possibility of ghosts. Mm -hmm. Are they real? Are they not? Mm -hmm. um, I won't uh, spoil that, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I'll I will tell you that uh, Hercule is uh, even in retirement. 
he's back. Yeah, still got it. Yeah, he still got it. That's uh, Kenneth Branagh in that movie. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, I really yeah. like him. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, oh my gosh. Tina Fey mm. is in it as well. She plays yeah. uh, sort of. I think awesome. Michelle Yeoh is in that movie too, if I recall correctly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was nice. There was a, the, the, uh, cinematography was really nice as they mentioned the scenes in Venice were really cool the mystery was good they blended uh sort of the the ghost slash horror aspects with the mystery really well and uh i was uh i was pleasantly surprised well mind you i like like mysteries too but uh mm-hmm. i i i if it uh martha hadn't been interested in it i may i may not have ventured out of my house to go see it but i'm glad i did it was uh it was a fun movie. Yeah, good times. I had actually completely forgotten that that was uh, based on Agatha Christie novel until you mentioned it. But yeah, that, uh, that might be something I might check out because I, I I've definitely enjoyed things like um, uh, the ABC murders and Murder on the Orient Express and stuff like that. So right, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, well, I think this is the third one now in sort of that whole Kenneth Branagh sort of taking on the uh, character of Poro. So yeah, it's uh, nice. Killing it. This, this might be my favorite one. Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. What about you? Well, did you um, go outside? I did not go outside. I Uh I stayed indoors uh, because I've been, uh, kind of going down memory lane a little bit lately with my movie picks uh-huh. and uh, staying with the science fiction theme. I was going to talk about yet another uh, kind of classic film from my youth, I would say. And I use that term classic somewhat loosely <laughs> because some things that are classic for me are not necessarily classic for others. Uh, however, this this is definitely a movie that made a big impression on me when I was a kid because I think it was only about five or six years old when I saw it for the first time, which is The Black Hole, uh, which is, as some of you may know, uh, Disney's first ever non-G-rated feature film, right? So this is their first like PG film back when like PG meant something very different than it means today. Yeah. Uh, So this... This, this movie actually has quite a bit of darkness to it uh, in terms of like themes and plot and stuff like that, which kind of makes it a bit of a standout uh, because it, you know, does have the, the mouse house banner on it uh, and, you know, originally uh, released back in 1979. So this was a, this was a real interesting move on their part at the time. Um, but Basically, the gist of the movie is it's kind of like a bit of a haunted house in space scenario. And in fact, watching it again recently, it kind of made me think, oh, man, I wonder like if if the Event Horizon folks were like inspired by this in any way, because it, yeah. it, it almost I could almost see some little things in that movie that I'd never noticed before that almost kind of reminded me of some stuff from Event Horizon. And so I I feel like I need to go down a rabbit hole now and see if there's any uh, connection there or if anybody acknowledges that connection. But uh, I digress. 
the 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 main kind of hook of the movie is that there are these space explorers who come across a long uh lost ship uh that's basically parked on the precipice of a black hole as a result of this anti-gravity bubble that the uh the scientist who was in charge of the ship created to resist the pool of gravity of the black hole and allow the ship to to hold this spot and so when these uh space explorers basically go into identify the ship and realize what it is right that it's this long lost ship that's been missing for 20 years and they decide to go and land on the thing and investigate it all manner of craziness ensues because there's this whole question of like well what happened to the ship why is it here you know what's this guy been up to for 20 years and it's got kind of this cool like mystery slash tension slash uh, like kind of scientific awe and discovery aspect to it that I think blends really nicely together into this imperfect but really compelling package right where it's like the movie has flaws right like there are things about it that aren't so great but I think the things about it that work and that are really cool are super cool and definitely stand up well, like even watching it today, you know, 40 plus years after it was created. So definitely one that I enjoy revisiting from time to time. I remember the cover sat with me, the whole, it just, as a younger person who was kind of creeped out, just that black hole and, you know, the, you know, the mm-hmm. ship and thinking, you know, Who'd want to go that close? Mm-hmm. Well, I think I mentioned that this might have been before we actually started recording. I was talking about existential crises, right? Like things that kind of, it's like you look into like the swirling black hole and that, that kind of gives you a moment, right? Where you're like, oh, crap, <laughs> the universe is really big and I'm really small. And there's some really powerful stuff out there that's like way beyond our capacity to deal with as like individual human beings. And I think, you know, films like this really encapsulate and like capture a lot of that menace or dread or like uncomfortable reality that we just kind of sweep under the rug and don't pay attention to in our day-to-day lives in a way that's very cool and fascinating and and I think worth experiencing. Um, But the other really cool thing about this movie is it's a bit of a time capsule in the sense that there's a lot of really cool actors in it who, uh, you know, either aren't around anymore or, or well past, you know, the prime they were in when they were in the movie. Uh, right. People like uh, Robert Forster, um, Ernest Borgnine, Anthony Perkins. There's, there's a lot of faces you will definitely recognize in that film if, you, if you're if you a film buff, for sure. Also, two very noteworthy uncredited uh, vocal performances in that movie because in, in the movie there's robots that are voiced by by different actors and actually uh roddy mcdowell and slim pickens uh voice the two main robot voices which is pretty cool interesting i'll have to pull that from the uh the vault one day yeah dust that from the archives maybe yeah. the, the spin yeah nice like I said, 
I'm I'm well aware that it is not a perfect film by any means. It's just one of those ones that's close to my heart because it was, you know, there are certain movies that kind of informed my uh, understanding and love and appreciation for the science fiction genre because I saw them at a really kind of critical age and they had ended up yeah. having a really big impact on me. And that's definitely one of them. There's definitely some stuff in that movie that creeped me out or like made me think or stuck in my head like forever. Right. And that's just, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know if it'd be that way for everybody and probably certainly wouldn't be that way for somebody watching it as an adult today, but it was like one of those right place, right time kind of things where that thing's just burned into my melon forever. <laughs> But uh, having said all that, let's talk music because you did a thing you, you do quite frequently, which is posted something really cool that got my <laughs> mind thinking about something music related. Uh, well, was, it was the Canadian Thanksgiving, so I was putting a post up and uh, I found a, a picture from uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show with them mm -hmm. getting ready to carve the turkey mm -hmm. and uh so i posted it up you know wishing Don't everyone you who... okay yeah and uh i thought huh i should dust that one off and yeah. listen to it so nice. i uh put on the ipod and when i was going for a walk i was listening to it and you know that soundtrack is still good after all yes. this time it's yes, a it catchy, is. catchy one. I mean, mm -hmm. you got Time Warp, uh, Sweet Transvestite, mm -hmm. uh, well, Hot I mean, Tootie, Eddie. opener, science fiction double feature is yeah. one of my favorite openers. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. You know what, though? I I never made it to a midnight showing. No? That's, no. Oh, that's no. sad. I've been to many. I know. Yeah, yeah, there's a a place here in Pittsburgh called the Hollywood theater, which was kind of like the designated place. Cause I don't know if you knew this or not, but like here in the U S they had a rule where like no the no two theaters could show it within 150 miles of each other. to like really promote, um, you know, good crowds showing up cause they didn't want to yeah. like spread the, the audience out too much when it became like a cult thing. All right. And so that was the venue here in Pittsburgh for like years and years to go see that. And so I, I went ooh, probably about 20 or 30 times in my youth to, to that place to see it. And I also went a couple of times when they would have their all night Halloween triple feature where they would show that shock treatment and a third uh, classic cult like horror film so i actually ended up seeing things like phantom of the paradise and oh god Dead alive and stuff like that yeah. in the theater as a result of yeah. doing that as well yeah. did you dress up i have to ask uh, i never dressed up but i did bring yeah. props you know did bring okay. like the toilet paper and all that sort yeah. of thing and definitely did all the callbacks for sure so i yeah. i still probably know every single rocky horror callback because i've done them all like a million times I know. I, I regret not having gone because we had a cinema. Ours was called the Town Cinema. And uh, they used to do the midnight shows. And I went to midnight shows because uh, we were a smaller town or a smaller city at that time. 
So we didn't get a lot of the big concerts here. You had to go to Montreal or Toronto. So they used to play um, uh, concert movies or uh, just bands who had movies. So you'd go see uh, um, the Kids All Right by The Who or uh, Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, Song Remains the Same by Led Zeppelin. So we go to the midnight shows for that. But I never went to Rocky Horror. And I regret uh, it to this day. Yeah, it's a, it's a great experience. Like if you have a good community, a good group of people that are kind of putting it on and, and showing up all the time, it's it's super fun. It's it's yeah. definitely something I would highly recommend if you if you have the opportunity to do it. And like I say, if you have a good venue and a good you know crowd, you know it's it's, yeah. it's something else. It's a, it's a fun experience for sure. But yeah, but the, yeah, the songs were all. It's such a it's such an amazing soundtrack and i yeah. mean straying away from the music part even though it's the music is just like i was just running through my head how many people who were acting in it actually went on to become very successful oh, yeah. yeah such absolutely. a cult strange movie yeah i mean so, you got susan sarandon barry boswick uh yeah. Yeah. tim curry tim curry obviously yeah huge meatloaf went on to mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, I I can't even tell you how many times I've seen that movie at this point. It's, it has to be at least fifty, for sure, and, and probably at least thirty of those were in a theater. So, but yeah, it's a, that's a great one. So uh, if you're watching out there, you should check out Spotify and play it for yourself if you've never heard it before. Yeah, give it a try. I mean, I, I, I feel like the soundtrack would definitely be interesting, even in isolation. But definitely, if you have a chance, see the film, even if it's yeah. only on video or whatever. And definitely, if you have the chance, see it see it in a theater, you know, with, with props and callbacks and stuff. It's yeah. There's there's different there's different levels of the experience. You <laughs> kind of level up as you go, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And but, if you're a big fan of Rocky Horror and you have a favorite song or a favorite character. Write a yeah. comment. Yeah, drop it in the comments. Let us know because we definitely would have things to say about that. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what what would you say is your favorite song from that soundtrack? Is it is it? Would you go with like Time Warp or, or one of the like more popular ones, or do you like any of the more like obscure ones? Uh, I actually my two favorites would probably be either. Hot Patootie or Eddie. Yeah, nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Those good. those are very, very catchy. I mean, the other two, uh, you know, Time Warp and Sweet Dreams, it's been, they've, I wouldn't say, I won't say they're overplayed, but I've heard them yeah. so many times that, you know, it's kind of a given. Yeah. Those are great songs, you know, yeah. great scenes as well. I mean, they yeah. just like, we're seeing. Yeah. I don't even know what the term is. Like they just ate the scenery, you know? Yeah. But um but For yeah, sure. the uh I found because Eddie and Super Two, they're kind of like a a rockin' kind of mm-hmm. thing. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, those would probably be my two favorites. Yeah. I, like I said before, I'm I'm a real sucker for science fiction double feature. I really love the yeah. lyrics of that song and the way it just yeah. sets everything up. Like that's that's probably yeah. my personal favorite. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I think the whole thing is great and, and definitely cool and clever. 
I think that's the other thing about it, right, is to make something that can stand up to like so much scrutiny and so many repeated viewings and listenings and stuff like that and still be interesting to see and listen to, I think is is really cool, right? Because yeah. it's, like I said, I've seen it and heard it so many times, but I still wouldn't hesitate to pop it on and check it out again. Yeah. But uh, Maybe for Halloween. Yeah, yeah. You know, I could I could relive my glory days and do like the, at least the double feature with that and the shock treatment, which actually is what I wanted to talk about because you got my you got my brain going with this one. Because uh, uh, like I said, I used to go and, and see those triple features. And so I've seen shock treatment almost as many times as I've seen Rocky Horror, which for those of you who don't know, shock treatment is actually the, the, the quote unquote sequel to the Rocky Horror Picture Show where they basically like pick up with the characters, uh, Brad and Janet, several years after the events of, of Rocky Horror. And so they're married at that point and they're going through like marriage crisis type situation. And they actually end up on this crazy reality TV game show, uh, which is really wild when you stop and think about it because this movie is from 1980 or 1981 like that kind of ballpark time period. Yeah. And some of the things that it addresses, like especially with this whole concept of like reality TV and stuff like that was like so far ahead of its time, right? Because you didn't yeah. see reality TV until the 90s, but it's totally in that movie, like yeah. just as you would imagine it, you know, in, the, in this thing that was like years ahead of its time. And I would also say that is a banging soundtrack. Like there's, there's several songs on that soundtrack that I think are among some of my favorite, like movie, you know, slash uh, musical type, type soundtrack songs for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Things like uh, Bitchin' in the Kitchen and uh, Lullaby and uh, Breaking Out. Like there's, there's some real, real solid tunes in that soundtrack as well. Um, for sure and, and also one of my favorite uh fake bands because you know how like sometimes in movies they'll have like a band that's in the movie but they're not a real yeah. band right they're like a, a band yeah. that gets created for the purposes of the movie so in shock treatment there's a band called oscar drill and the bits uh which is definitely one of my favorite in in movie bands for sure uh but yeah, shock treatment is definitely another thing I would highly recommend, especially if you enjoy Rocky Horror Picture Show and you haven't seen or heard that, definitely should check it out because it's, it's I think, in a lot of ways just as good as the, uh, as the original. There you go. So, start your double feature today. Yeah, start your, start your journey into the mind of Richard O'Brien as soon as you finish watching our uh, podcast. There you go. Yeah. All righty. Well, speaking of uh, audio-visual journeys, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about television? Because you've been watching something that I have at least seen a trailer for that I thought looked pretty interesting. Well, this is another one that uh, I... Uh... Wouldn't have watched probably if it wasn't for uh, my my wife asking uh, to me to watch it with her, and uh, actually it turned out to be pretty good. I've watched the three seasons of it now, and that is uh, only murders in the building. 
Yeah. I didn't realize and, there were three seasons of that already. Yeah. I, I thought that show yeah. was pretty new. They must be cranking yeah. them out. They have with Steve Martin, Martin Short, and uh, Selena Gomez are the main characters and in all three. And they live in this kind of, I guess, a fancy kind of place. No, it's kind of like a, like the Dakota, maybe in New York City, like one of those old fancy Mm -hmm. kind of buildings that no one can really afford. So, and there's interesting backstories on how all three of them got to have one of these sort of luxurious Mm -hmm. apartments. Mm -hmm. And, um, they uh they go to broadway for the murder on the season three but the three of them actually for the first one they do a podcast together they decided Mm -hmm. when there was a murder in their building they decided to do a podcast of it um because steve martin plays sort of a an old actor who was famous for this I don't know, like a character, kind of like a like Beretta sort of thing. He was this oh, okay. cop like a cop kind of thing, detective sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Martin Short was this uh, Broadway uh, director and uh, you know producer uh, that's sort of fallen on harder times. And uh, Selena Gomez is their young ingenue, I guess, who uh, is in her. I think it's her aunt's apartment. That's how she can afford to live there because she doesn't have to pay for it. And she bumps into them when there's this murder. And uh, I guess they come up with this idea to do a podcast on it to try to liven up their lives and try to get the, well, two of them want to get back into the limelight, so to speak. And uh, and she brings sort of a young kind of thing uh, to their thing, uh, to the to the group kind of was it breathes new life into their otherwise yeah, mundane bringing that, bringing lives. that youthful energy yeah yeah so yeah it, it plays well uh in the third episode or third season uh matthew broderick has a sort of a i wouldn't say it's a cameo but it's uh the best description is kind of a cameo for like an episode or two and he's it's pretty funny yeah so nice. they bring him in but there's uh Meryl Streep's in it, Paul Rudd. Uh, so they, they brought some big hitters in for uh, this season. And the story's story's really good. Uh, basically, it's about a haunting in a theater. Hmm. And, that's uh, the, the season three uh, stories in the theater, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but it does, it, I mean, it's, it, well, once again, can't say too much because I don't want to be spoilers, but it uh, it does get back to a murder in the building. Yeah, I would say they probably have to bring it back around there somehow just to stay on brand, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and how how they do it is uh, it's kind of funny. It's uh, it's not slapstick, but it's they obviously they almost had a good time with this one. It was it was pretty good. Yeah, nice. I liked it. It's if you're looking for a light. Uh, kind of snappy i mean you could just watch martin short and steve martin just pretty well do anything right yeah well that's what i was gonna say is like you know just having seen the trailer for it uh you know as soon as i saw that they were in it i'm like oh i probably will watch that at some point i just haven't gotten around to it 
yeah so it's uh it's a lot of tongue in cheek it's uh it's 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 really funny as i said it's not normally something i would watch and i didn't really know much about selena gomez and mm-hmm. uh but she does a really good job mm-hmm. uh, i didn't even know she was a singer oh right nice <laughs> yeah so because i'm so old and square but uh, she does a really good job. I do remember her because my son used to watch a show when he was growing up uh, that she was in. So I did remember her as a child actor, you know, oh, okay. in the show. Nice. Oh. Uh, Are you having an apostrophe? It was something on Waverly. I think it's something like that. Not the witches in Waverly, because I don't think they were witches. Something on Waverly. But yeah, my son used to watch it uh, religiously. So yeah, yeah nice. so if you're looking for some lighthearted fun, only murders in the building. Nice. Worth a check. Nice. What have you been watching? Are you been binging anything? Uh, not, not not binging, but again, you know, be, being that I've been on this kind of nostalgic sci-fi train lately, uh, I definitely have been thinking a lot about some of my favorite sci-fi shows. Mm-hmm. And that kind of led me to think about Stargate, uh, which is probably right up there for me, like especially considering like the three different series, right? Like because there's Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe. I think like kind of cumulatively, those three series might be like right up there at the top of my sci-fi television watching like kind of right up there with something like star trek or you know uh defiance or or some of the other things that i've ended up really loving um so yeah i felt like that was something worth talking about for at least a minute right because uh especially with um amazon having acquired mgm which is of course the the company that owns the the rights to like the stargate for intellectual property I think it's just a matter of time before they kind of try to tap into that because especially in in a certain point in time stargate was actually like kind of a big deal in the in the sci-fi world and in in, in like the syndicated television world right because i mean even just the sg1 series had i think it was either nine or ten seasons it's like one of the longest running sci-fi shows ever uh, and so there's definitely like a pretty big fan base for that stuff out there that's kind of been sadly underserviced and uh, unsatisfied yeah. for quite a while now. I, I like, I, I can't say, I, I saw some of the other episodes of the other shows, but I did watch Stargate 1 mm-hmm. for quite a few seasons. I think I kind of drifted off about halfway through mm-hmm. and then just watched them periodically. But yeah, I was I was kind of hooked on that. The premise is so cool. Oh, I really, I like the movie when it came out. Yeah, the movie's awesome for sure. Yeah. But I also felt like they did a really good job of like keeping continuity with the movie despite all the actors changing, right? Because like they, yeah. they very much like you know kept the same characters and 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 did a really good job in like those first couple of episodes of the series, making you forget the fact that you're not watching Kurt Russell and James Spader anymore, yeah. right? You're, you're watching Richard Dean Anderson and Michael Shanks, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, those guys did great, you know, with, with those roles for sure. But it was definitely like kind of jarring at first, right? When you're yeah. like, oh, wait, these are 
different people playing these characters, but it's like the show was so good that you very quickly forget that. And you're just like, oh, I'm, okay, I'm on board. Let's do this. Yeah. 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 They had a lot of really interesting episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, when, and like you said, that's such a fertile premise to explore, right? This whole idea of like these gateways that connect worlds over vast distances and allow you to instantaneously travel between them, you know, through wormholes. Uh, and it's it's such a legit scientific premise too, right? There's yeah. There's such credible science that backs up the idea that that is a viable premise. Yeah. And the other thing I really love about Stargate is how it's just taking place in our world, right? Like all this stuff is is happening in the world as we know it, but it's just secret, right? It's, it's yeah. you know, being kept from us. And yeah. I love that aspect of it, right? Because they really play into that in certain episodes where it's like, you know, a big, a big hook of a lot of the episodes is some really crazy stuff is going down and they have to try to figure out a way to prevent like the world at large from becoming aware of what's happening. Right. And I, I think that's a really cool hook and premise that they, that they lean into and use really effectively frequently throughout the series. Um, but then also, the- Oh, what were you gonna say? I was say, what's your favorite of the three series? So I really love, I really love SG-1, um, but I will admit at a certain point, I kind of lost steam with it as well. Like I've definitely seen every episode of it at least once, but at at a certain point, it just kind of started to to drag on for me and I I kind of lost the thread with it a little bit. I really loved Atlantis. I thought Atlantis was great. and there's some really cool stuff in that one that I think utilizes its its premise of like going off into a completely different galaxy really well. Um, but actually, uh, ironically, probably my favorite of the three is the one that only lasted for two seasons, which is Universe, because I felt like, again, it had this really awesome, amazing premise that sadly never got fully developed in the way that I would have liked to have seen it because the show only lasted for two seasons. However, the idea behind it. So in in universe, the idea was that the ancients who were like the people who are responsible for all this technology, right. That gets unearthed had sent these ships out to explore the universe uh, millions and uh, millions of years ago. And they basically, because you know, with the stargates, right. You have the seven symbols, Right. And yeah. you can use those seven symbols to basically dial an address that sends you to a location. Right. Well, the idea of Stargate Universe is there's actually eight symbols, but you need so much power to generate a wormhole of that magnitude to travel, you know, that that's far a distance that only like a, a handful of those gates exist. And so they end up finding one of these gates that can dial the eighth symbol. And turns out it takes them to the ship that's been traveling through the universe for millions of years and is like so far away from Earth that they can't get back because uh, they, they just don't have the, the ability. They can't generate enough power to make a wormhole that comes back the other way. So basically yeah. you have this team of scientists and military folks who end up getting stranded on this ancient ship that's like hurtling through the universe like billions and billions of light years away from earth 
and all of the stuff that they end up getting embroiled in as a result of that. Um, and actually, like, one of the really cool things about that show is even though it's only two seasons, there's an episode that's like the next to the last episode in the second season, which actually could be considered a finale for the series. But it's just that they kind of kept on going with the story. But if you really wanted to, you could stop before the last episode and get like a nice yeah. kind of sense of closure out of it. Because then then what ends up happening is the, the last episode of season two set, is trying to set stuff up for the third season that never actually happened. Uh, but if you stop one short with Universe, you get a really cool, satisfying ending. Um, so I would definitely highly recommend that show. I think that show is criminally underrated. Uh, I don't think I've actually seen an episode of that one. Yeah, it was really good. I, I, I've it seen Atlantis and notch. one, but... Hmm. New Diamond Phillips is in it too, so shout out to him. Oh, really? He's really good at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Stargate is definitely, like I say, one, one of my personal favorites and definitely one that I spent probably far too much time watching yeah. over the years, but I super enjoy it and I definitely hope it comes back. Shout out to Brad Wright. They should definitely bring him back as the as a showrunner if they do uh, resurrect that thing. Because he's got some great ideas about how that thing should continue. Anyway, having said all of that, uh, let's wrap things up here by talking a little bit about video games. Fun, fun, fun. Yeah, I know you've been uh, up to something lately that you're pretty excited about. What's, what's going on there? Well, I'm proud to say I'm back on top, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been uh, had a chance. I haven't done a lot of it. Uh, but uh, if you've been watching our show for past so many episodes, you probably figured out by now that the one game I do play somewhat regularly was World of Tanks. But I haven't really played any video games for quite a while. And just recently I started to play it again. And I think we mentioned it on an episode or two ago that mm -hmm. I had played a few games and stuff. But it took me a bit to get back on it. But now I've been winning up a storm back to my old ways. Nice. Making lots of silver. That's it. Lots yeah. of silver. I got a couple of uh, MVPs under my belt now. Number one on the battlefield. Nice. I didn't know if I'd be. I thought, ah, oh, I don't have it anymore. Yeah, do you but think I you're do. Some, the tank equivalent of dirt naps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. So it's uh, it was fun. I still haven't been playing. I mean, God, I used to play it for hours, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't, uh, I don't do that anymore. But. Uh, yeah, you know, it's I, good to get uh, a little hit, get a little hit yeah, in there, get the juices yeah. flowing. Yeah, yeah, swung back. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, king of the tankers again. Excellent, excellent. I'm happy for you. I'm glad. That's good. That's a good. Thing. Don't really. It's a, it's a brief thing because I uh, don't have much to talk about because we've talked about it in the past. But uh, I just wanted everyone to know because I'm yeah. such a braggart. Well, I mean, you are playing it on your shiny new Xbox, though, right? So it doesn't look any better than what you're used to. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the yeah the uh, the graphics are incredible. Yeah, nice, yeah. nice, yeah. excellent. 
it helps you totally get right in there. So you're totally encompassed in it. You know, you're just, you, you even forget, you actually think you're in a tank, you know, moving your stuff and yeah. looking out for the enemy, seeing where your people are, you become totally engrossed in it. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, speaking of uh, stunning visuals, I was going to talk a little bit about some of the things that I've been playing lately, which is uh, games from the Forza series. So um, I think I've mentioned it on the show previously, at least a couple of times, that I'm kind of a big racing game fan. And uh, so whenever a big new racing game comes out, I tend to get a little bit excited about that. And actually what I had been playing for a while uh, was Forza Horizon 5, which is sort of uh, Microsoft's open world racing game. That one being set in uh, Mexico, where they basically had you driving around this sort of fictionalized version of Mexico doing all these events. And it's sort of like a fun kind of over the top, real like almost fast and the furious-ish kind of, kind of vibe, right? Where like everything's so like, crazy and outlandish that it doesn't really have a lot of bearing on reality. And so one of the things I really like to kind of counterbalance that is to have like a good uh, simulation or arcade sim racer, right? That's like a little more grounded, a little more just about like turning laps or, or you know, having, having a bit of fun like on the track. Right. Um, and so Fortunately, the the other sort of counterpart game to, to Forza Horizon is Forza Motorsport. And the new one of that series just came out. And I've had the chance to play a bit of that. And it is quite good. Quite good indeed. Um, I, I won't say that I've, I've had enough time with it to kind of judge it you know, completely. But some things that I really do like about it are, I think it's a, it's a really good looking game. I think the handling, like the way the cars feel to drive and the way they feel like connected to the road and the way the steering feels, like even when you're playing it on a controller, I think the steering and like the whole sense of like throwing your car around a corner and like that feeling that inertia and that sense of grip and that sense of like, oh, I'm losing the grip, I'm losing it, I'm losing it, <laughs> as opposed to it just kind of immediately going away on you. Because I think that's, right. that's where a lot of racing games suffer, right? Is you'll go from like, I've got grip, I've got grip to like I'm sliding off into no into oblivion, right? Yeah. One of the really cool things about the new Forza Motorsport is they have a whole new uh, physics modeling system for doing tires and like how they connect to the road. And you can really feel it, you know, in, in the way the cars handle where it's like, okay, I'm starting to lose it. I'm starting to lose it. Okay. If I adjust my steering, I can compensate for that, right? It's not this immediate drop off like it is in a lot of other games. So I think like that aspect of it is super cool. Um, I'd say like the AI is okay. You know, like if you're racing against the AI racers, it, they're decent, but they're not anything like outstanding. I think there's definitely some room for improvement there. Um, and I'd say like the online, like the multiplayer is pretty cool because what they've decided to do is go with this whole concept of scheduling races. So rather than just jumping into like a random online lobby and just trying to get a race going with random people, they actually have uh, events scheduled at certain times that you sign up for and you, and you do like qualifying and practice and all that sort of thing. And then the race is, is scheduled to happen at a certain time. So if you show up, you get to be in the race. And if you don't, you don't. 
And uh, what what that kind of tends to lead to is kind of a more structured, kind of a little bit more serious racing experience where it's like people are kind of scheduling, you know, their time around actually doing these events. So they take them a little more seriously because if you screw that race up, you can't just jump into another one immediately, right? You've maybe got 20 minutes or a half an hour to wait before the next one starts. So that really encourages people to kind of take it seriously and drive cleanly and like, you know, do a decent job of things. And I really like that aspect of it. Like, I wish they still had just open lobbies, you know, open public lobbies where people could jump in and do whatever and just screw around. But I like the structure of what they're doing with these organized events. I think it's producing some interesting results because the other thing they do is they give you like a safety rating as a driver. So if you're like wrecking into other people or, you know, clipping them off the road or whatever, that hurts your safety rating. And then you end up getting put into a different bracket, you know, with other unsafe drivers. So (laughs) the more you drive cleanly, the more you end up with like better competitors who are more like suited to your play style, which I think is, is pretty cool as well. I imagine the graphics are like credible. You know, they're, they're very good. Like I would definitely not say that they're, they're bad by any stretch, but I think one thing that kind of differentiates Forza from say something like Gran Turismo is I don't think the graphics in Forza Motorsport look particularly realistic, right? They look really yeah. good. They're, they're really yeah. cool, shiny, detailed, really, really awesome looking, but I wouldn't say that they look realistic, right? Like, like when I see screenshots or I see videos of like Gran Turismo 7, for example, right. I could be fooled into thinking some of those cars are real sometimes, right? Or some of those environments are real sometimes. Forza, it looks like a video game, right? It, it, it's a very okay. good looking video game. It's a very like amazing looking video game, but it still looks like a video game, right? Um, which, you know, depending on what your personal taste is, you may like or, or dislike that. Like I, I I don't have any problem with it. I think it looks great. But if you're looking for realism, you know, like you know, photographic like fidelity, I don't I don't yeah. think it necessarily excels in that regard. Okay. Yeah, because I I've never played Forza. I, I played Gran Turismo and that was years ago. And I remember then mm-hmm. it was just unbelievable mm-hmm. how yeah the graphics were so i just i guess well now so many years later i can only imagine how amazing they are yeah i mean i think it's a kind of like open secret at this point that gran turismo 7 is is probably almost certainly eventually coming to pc because almost every other sony game at this point has as well um and so i'm i'm almost certainly gonna pick it up when it when that comes to steam because i just can't not do that yeah. uh, but but i think it's interesting right that in my mind forza has its own place right like it yeah. it's not like oh if i if i had gran turismo i'd never play forza because forza kind of scratches a little bit of a different itch for me right okay. like they're not it's not a one-to-one comparison like they they kind of excel at different things and provide different things so i think they're both like totally viable and interesting in their own right but so in forza do you can you upgrade your car and your like team and stuff or yeah so um especially in the single player portion of the game there's what they call the builder's cup 
which is basically uh -huh. where you uh, race cars. And as you level up the car, you unlock parts and then you tune, you know, the car based on the parts you've unlocked. So you can right. not only swap parts in and out, like, you know, engines and other performance parts, but you also can tune, you know, suspension and, you know, change the rake of the car, you know, how much it's angled or what have you, or change the camber yeah. of your tires. A lot of the sort of stuff you'd expect from something like a Gran Turismo, but maybe not as detailed as some other simulation racing games, right? Like there's a, a level of detail that some games go to that's a little beyond what Forza is doing, but right. it's it's definitely got enough there to keep you busy. Like if you're into tuning at all, there's there's plenty yeah. there to, huh. to check that box. Well, I mean, one day we'll uh, we'll have to race one of my tanks uh, against uh, your uh, souped up jalopy. And of course, if I'm losing, I'll just blow your car off the track. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I want to be in front of the tank. I think yeah. I, I think it might yeah. be your your key to victory because anybody who passes you gets ghosted. That's it. I'll be like, you know what? I'm so generous and I'm so confident in my ability. I'm going to give you a 10 second head start. You That's go as far as you idea. want. It's very yeah. kind of you. I'm going to generously opt to go in the other <laughs> direction. Yeah. I guess you're racing along, look in the rearview mirror and just <laughs> see the see shell spiraling coming. Spiraling towards you. Yep. Classic Ron. <laughs> That's it. Win by um, all costs. Good times. Uh, well, speaking of winning by all costs, I think we have actually managed to complete yet another episode of this fine product. And as we mentioned previously, our last episode of the year. So yay for us. And Merry Christmas. Yes. Happy and holiday. I guess wish you all a happy new year. Happy New Year and all that. You know, we're, we're not really doing like the holiday themed episodes like we did last year. You, you folks yeah. can go back and watch those if you want to see Ron's amazing Santa hat or my amazing jack-o'-lantern or any of those things. Um, but, you know, we, we figured we kind of keep things a little a little more simple and a little less uh, tied to a particular time of year. So you could watch this anytime and it, it'll exactly. work for you. Uh, but we want yeah. our shows to be timeless. In, indeed, indeed, that is uh, precisely how we roll. But uh, yeah, I think it's time to wrap this thing up and uh, prepare for some holiday feasting and relaxing, and uh, see all of you folks next year. Thanks for dropping by. Good time. Always. Congratulations, you just survived the post-mortem report. For more information about the show, the hosts, or the things they talked about, visit our official website at postmortemreport.com. And always remember, good posts never die. There we go. How'd you feel about that one? Well, you're not going to have any blooper reels on me this time. Oh, you don't think so? <laughs> you did. You just did now. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. how that works. I just don't stop yeah. recording until I get. Some. I know. Oh, I can see the recording there on the corner. That's why I, I threw you a bone. Yeah, you gave me one.
Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I'm sure, I'm sure the people do as well. Of course. So stop right. watching. Don't you have a life? Yeah. Stop yeah. Stop watching our show. Go read one of our <laughs> books for crying out loud. Bye. Credits are over. Yeah. Yeah. Good time.